episode, I'm going to look at a grab bag full of tricks in Ruby and Ruby on Rails. So I'll start with a new application and I'll just call it template and changing directories into this application. I'm going to just run a scaffold generator and I'm just going to create a users with the first name and the last name. I'll go ahead and run my migrations and then I can go ahead and launch my editor. And so within the users controller, I'm going to scroll down and maybe I'm going to see that we have our format.html and our format.json. And I just want to put a note here. And I'll just say to do remove json as this project will not use it. And I can go down and put this in the relevant areas. And then let's say we have a method where we just call it full name. And this method is just taking our first name attribute and then also the last name attribute, combining them and putting a space in. And later we may come back and we might have a fix me and maybe this message would be camel casing is inconsistent with the rest of the app we might have a slow query and we can have a optimized comment where we'll say for some reason this method is slow and so if your app has a lot of these fix me's to do's and optimizes it could be difficult to go through your application to figure out where you have all of these hidden so in our terminal i'm going to just type rails notes and then you can see that this is going to return each one of those and the line item that it had them. So in our users controller, we had five to-dos and in our user model, we had a fix me on line three and a optimize on line eight. And over to the right, you can see the description of those. So using the to-do fix me and optimize helpers might be really helpful when you're developing a feature where you just need to get it working right now, but you see that you have some gaps within the application that should be fixed before that feature is actually released. And so coming into your terminal, if you use those notations, you can just use the Rails notes to get a list of the different things that you still have to do. Another neat trick, we can create a initializer and I'm just going to call this clear logs.rb. And the nice thing about initializers is that you'll see in many cases where if you make a change to a file within your initializers, you have to restart your Rails application. So if you are developing locally, you can do a case where rails.env is the development environment. And so whenever the app initializes, this code will get executed if it's the development environment. And some thoughts around here is that I don't need to see the logs that I had in my development environment from yesterday because I'm actively developing on this application today. I don't really care about the logs from yesterday. So we can set a logs is equal to the file.join. We can get our rails.root. We can combine this with the log folder and then we can grab all the dot logs. We then run a rails log clear and this will clear out all the logs. So whenever you restart your application, it's going to clear out all the logs, but maybe this isn't the exact functionality that you want. Maybe you only want to clear it out if it reaches a certain amount. So you can have a max log size. Maybe we want to limit this to 10 megabytes. And so we can get our files and then do a any, meaning if any of these are true, then we're going to execute this. And we can do a file.size. We can pass in the log file, convert it over to a integer, and we can then check if it's greater than the max log size. And if this is true, then we'll clear the logs. And it might be good to give some kind of indication when you're starting up the Rails application that the logs are getting cleared out. So we can use our standard out and then do a puts and then just a running Rails log clear. So now whenever you restart your application, if the logs are more than 10 megabytes, then it's just going to run the Rails clear log. In our terminal, 
we can run Rails C to enter in our Rails console, and this will allow us to interact with the data using a IRB or PRI. However, if we add a dash dash sandbox in here, then this is going to still launch the Rails console, and we can do a user.create, we can give it a first name, and we'll say John with the last name of Doe. And so we've created this record, and we can then interact with it. We can do a user.first, and then we can get their full name. You can see that we get that information back, and when we hit exit, it's going to roll back the transactions that we have done within this Rails console, so it truly is a sandbox mode, and this is really good if you just need to get in there, test something out to see if it's working within the application, or if you just need to run some data, you can then see what it's going to do, and when you exit out, it just puts it back to the way it was. The next trick is you may come across a situation where you have sent out an email and you've never given it second thought, but then you go to check the email and the name comes off as something different. Instead, you would want it to look something like this, where you actually can see the name who it's coming from and it's a bit more readable. So in our application mailer, because all of our other mailers will inherit from this file, we have our default from, and it's just by default set to from an example.com. However, if we format our email like this, and then we give it a description tag, maybe we just want to call it example application, and this is still a valid email address, the from at example.com will still be considered the actual email part of the address, but then this description will then show up in the from whenever the recipient receives the email. Otherwise, if I had just sent it through something like SyncGrid or SES, then just from would have showed up from that email. Next, let's take a user and we're going to set this equal to a empty hash. Within this hash, we're going to just create a couple of nested things where we can have a attributes, a first name, we'll set this to John, a last name, we'll set this to Doe. Then maybe we also want to give it an address. In the street, we'll just call 123 fake street. We'll give it a city. The state, we'll give it a state. Location, we can have a latitude. And we can also create a longitude. So this is a fairly simple hash. However, let's say if we want to get the street address. And a lot of times when we're working with hashes, we're going to want to get one of the values from one of the keys within there, but it could be nested down pretty deep. So in order to prevent a error whenever you are executing this, in case if this hash was not formed the way you would have thought, then we would do something like this, where we check to see if the user is available, and then we can check to see if the address is available, but we have to then scope in our user and then get the address then we can actually return our value. So then we would return our user and then in the address. And then finally we get our street. So if the user symbol wasn't part of our hash, it would have just returned nil. And if the user address wasn't available, then this would return nil. And if that was, then we try to get our street. If the street's not available, it would return nil. Otherwise it would return our street address. And while this does work, it's not efficient and it's hard to read. So instead, when you're working with the hash, you can use a dig, and then you can just pass in the user, the address, and also the street. So this is a lot shorter, and it's also a lot easier to read, and this is how I would prefer to write this. However, you can take this a step further. So let's just get to our address, and at this point, we are getting to our address, but then we still want to get the street number. So when we're actually returning the key, I'm going to use a fetch, and in this case, I can do a fetch on this street. 
and this will return the same thing. And the reason why I like the second way a lot more is because it's going to give us some extra functionality where maybe we want to get our postal code. But if this postal code is not available within this hash, then we can set a default value. So we can test this out. When I run this, I would expect none provided to be returned. And so now we have our none provided. But if we put our postal code in here and run this again, you can now see that we're getting our postal code back instead of none provided. So I'm gonna generate another model and I'm gonna call this the profile and it's going to belong to a user. So instead of doing a user ID integer, we can just do a user references and this will create the user ID as well as the index on that user ID. I'll go ahead and migrate the database. And then in the class profile, the belongs to the user. If we have the profile, and if we need to get the user's first name, we could do something like a profile.first just to get the first record. And then we can do the user.first underscore name. But an easier way to do this, if we have our user profile, to just be able to do something like first underscore name you're able to do something like that with a delegate and we want to delegate the first underscore name to our user and I'll launch a IRB and another thing that we can do is if we have ingredient one ingredient two we can set these equal to something like a salt and pepper so when we call ingredient one it's going to return salt and ingredient two it's going to call pepper because we are setting two variables and we have the first two items in the array if we did something like the number of attributes did not match the items in the array. So when we list our ingredient one, we get salt, our ingredient two, we get pepper, and the third one is just submitted. And now launch the Rails console so we can interact with our model. So let's say if we have our user.first, and I'll just set this equal to the user variable. So I'll just first create a user. So with this user, we can do a full name and we get our John Doe. But let's say if we're in our console, we want to know where this is located. We can do a user.method, we can pass in the full name, and then we can do a source location. And this will return an array with the location of that, as well as the line number where that is defined. And from here, you may also want to go ahead and see what the source is. So if you just do the same thing, where it's a user method, pass in the method name as a simple, dot source, then this is going to return a string and you can see that we have some line returns in there with the contents of that entire method. If you call a source.display, this will pretty print it out to where you can read it a lot easier. And if you work with arrays a lot, it's important to know some of the different tips and tricks that you can do with them. So let's say if we have an array one, two, three, and we have another array, let's say this array is just three and four, and you wanna find what values are intersecting between these. Well, you can just do an ampersand, and this is going to do a union between them, and it's just going to return an array of three. If no values existed in either, you still get an empty array. Let's say if we take the two and three, but now we want to find the difference between them. We can just do a subtraction of the two arrays, and then we get the one returned. And while I'm in the Rails console, I can do something like an app, and this is going to return a bunch of stuff. If we do something like an app.get, we can then pass in a path. And you can see that this took us to our welcome controller on the index action, and it's the default provided by Rails. So we can also test out doing a get, and maybe we just want to do the user's path. But you're not gonna be able to just put in the user's path. Instead, you have to add in the app.user's path, and then it's gonna call out to our user's controller and the index action. And another helpful one for debugging might be doing an app.cookies, 
to see what cookies that you might have stored. And finally, another neat trick is you can do a gem server, and this will launch a server on port 8808. And if we navigate our browser to this URL, you can see that it gives us a little mini website showing us all the gems that are installed, and then also a link to the RDoC for these. And it also shows the dependencies that each one of these gems rely on. And this is only going to work for the gems that you have installed. It's not the full list of all the gems. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks for watching.